Hey, you're listening to the Kingdom Church Podcast. My name's Harrison. I'm the pastor here. We're so excited that you took the time to listen to this message. It is a special word from a guest speaker from our team. I think you're going to enjoy it. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, here it is. Hey, man. Good morning, everybody. You can be seated. And uh, happy first day of winter. I know about you, but I was getting sick of fall, so... I was thinking on the way over this morning, it's been like 40 straight years that I have experienced a white Christmas. So I don't have to sing the Bing Crosby song like I did as a king, I'm dreaming, or as a kid, uh, dreaming of a white Christmas. It's always here all the time. Did you know that 2020 is the year of the Bible? Yeah, there's a number of uh, organizations around the world that are getting together uh, to, again, just help people to not only read the Bible, and some don't even do that, you know, it's this ancient book, it doesn't have much value, it's, it's you know, outdated. But really trying to get people to read the Bible, and it has to start obviously in the church. Uh, so I challenge you as we go into 2020 uh, to maybe get a Bible plan uh, to follow along. And, and I also want to make a challenge as well. I'm, I'm a note taker. Uh, that's something I've done I, in my 35, 40 years of being a Christian, following Jesus, is I know Harrison puts a lot of time into your messages. Your dad told me that. And, you know, the thing is that we can hear a message and not remember a lot of it, but just by taking notes, you'll remember about less than 10% of what I'm having to say this morning. That's just the education, people that have studied these things. So I'd encourage you to, you know, to get a Bible plan. If you need some help, we can help you with that. Um, maybe it's if you've never read through the Bible in a year, I challenge you to do that. You know, when you're getting Leviticus and Deuteronomy and some of those places, just keep on going. Just keep on reading. So there's, a, we actually, we have an app that we're talking about this morning, and it's called YouVersion. And do you realize that YouVersion, this year, there were 5.6 billion chapters listened to and 35.6 billion chapters read in 2019? That's a lot of people for a book that's supposedly outdated. It, it's an amazing book. Now, what do you think was the, this is according to this particular app, version, the most read verse in the Bible? I'll give you a hint. It's one of my favorite ones. John, no, it's not even John 3.16. Think about the, and that's a good one, absolutely. No, not Genesis 1. Put up on the screen. There it is. That is the most read verse. You know, you consider the turmoil that our world is in. It makes sense. You know, don't worry about anything. Or some translations say, do not have anxiety about anything. I would say this is probably the most quoted verse in my own life. Because I'm a pretty high energy, tense, anxious person as my daughter and my wife and the rest could attest to. But it's, in, it's important that, in, you know, so we're not worrying. Instead, we pray about everything. We tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Now, I want to tell you a story that I'm going to launch into uh, what I want to talk about today, which is the humility of Jesus and being a follower of him. Go to the next one. This is actually in this particular Bible. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. I went back into 2003. And I had started uh, traveling a lot internationally, working with persecuted Christians. And we went to Beijing, South Beijing in China. And we met with this pastor named Alan Yuan. 
Alan Yuan was arrested in his 40s because he refused to go along with the government, with the government-controlled Three Self-Patriotic Church. You may know these things. China has the most Christians perhaps in the world now, more than 120 million. And when they tried to stop and kicked out all the missionaries in the 1950s, there was about a million. And now look at what's going on today. You, can't, you can kick the missionaries out, you can try to stop the Bible, you can do all these things, control the church, but you can't stop what God is doing in the world. So Alan Yuan refused to go along uh, with that, along with other people like Watchman Nee. Some of you may know his writings. He was in prison for his faith in Jesus. So while we were in China, we had met and interviewed a number of persecuted Christians that had gone through all sorts of difficulty. But we had a chance to meet Alan Yuan. And like this guy is a superstar in my mind. I mean, in, in, Jesus is the only superstar, but you know, he's up there in terms of somebody that was well-known and well-respected. I read his book, incredible guy. I get to meet this man of God. He spent more than 20 years in prison because he refused to renounce his faith and go along with his government-controlled church. So we went to his small apartment, him and his wife, Lily, and we were talking to them, and I saw a picture on the wall. There's Alan Yuan and his wife and Billy Graham, the great evangelist. And I'm going, wow, this guy's like really awesome. So I thought, okay, I want to get his autograph. And I thought, well, that's kind of tacky. And uh, so I said, uh, Pastor Alan, can I get you to write your favorite verse in my Bible? At that point, he was 92. He's now with the Lord. And, he's, and so he had his wife, Lily, writing it out. So she was writing out this verse. You can go to the next one. I'll show you these wonderful people. There they are. So when he was released, actually, in, in 1976, 65 years old, they had this law that they said, you know, these people that have been imprisoned all these years, they need to be let out. And they thought, he won't do any more harm. Well, from 65 on to the time that he went to be with Jesus, he led thousands of people to Christ and baptized many of them. Amazing guy. So anyway, I, I've got my video camera there, and I'm going to do an interview with him, and we're going to go to these underground Bible school students in another part of China called Kunming. Just as I had my finger on the red button to start the video camera, and Mrs. Yuan was writing out this verse, Philippians, that you just saw, all of a sudden there's a bang on the door, and all of a sudden there's these six public security bureau officers, Chinese police, wondering what we were doing there. Before I could get the video out of the camera, you know, when you hit the eject button, it's not like now, I've got, you know, they've got cards, right? I could have that thing out and down my throat and into my stomach in seconds. But not with that. It was taken like this time. So it's like, here, before I could grab it, they grabbed the tape. It was the only time that we had not taken the videos and put them in a safe in a hotel in Beijing when we were there. Later, these two fellows that we had interviewed were arrested by the police. I was ready to quit doing this kind of work. Then I found out they had been arrested numerous times because they were so bold in their faith. And then they took the, the tape. They then took us into a room. And then for the next two hours, they interrogated us why we were there. And I'm thinking later, because I did, it took me about a year or two years when I was in Winnipeg at a seminary, and I saw a Chinese student and said, hey, can you tell me what this says? All I can see is four, six, and seven. And then he told me, do not be anxious for anything. And I thought, wow, that's like totally fits into the situation I was going through. Of course, I didn't know at the time. Now, if I ever write a book about that particular situation, I will have been tortured and I would not give up my faith. I wouldn't give up the names. They actually brought us tea and cookies, but that was okay. 
But I want, and, and you know, when I think of people like Alan and Lily Yuan, the humility that they displayed was incredible. And I think, you know, when I grow up, I want to be like these people. And I think of the kingdom of God and what we're building here as a community of people. We want to be followers of Jesus in everything that we do. And earlier this week, I was uh, interviewing in Toronto a guy by the name of Bruxy Cavey. It's, it's called the Meeting House. Some of you may be familiar in Oakville. One of the largest churches in Canada, and it's part of this campaign next year, this, you know, reading through the Bible and getting people to read the Bible. And I said to him, Bruxy, why do you love this book so much? And it was because, he said, because I love Jesus. And I want to find out everything that is in this book about him and his character. And as we're in this Christmas season, one of the characters of Jesus was humility. It's hard for us to understand, you know, uh, we get into, you know, this season and all the things that are going on. It's the simplicity of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And again, it's, it's, it's not easy for us to understand these things, that how God in heaven could come down you know, the one that held the holds the universe together in fellowship with the Father and Holy Spirit and come down and be a little vulnerable baby. And we got four of them here today. I could bring little Hannah up here and say, this is baby Jesus. Uh, you know, if we're doing that, we got lots of uh, actors available for tomorrow if you're thinking the nativity scene. Yeah, let's do it. So, but you think of that thing that happened 2000. So it's called the incarnation. You heard that term? God, man, coming together. And when I was in Bible school, you know, we talked, you know, Christology, you guys probably studied that. Trying to understand, okay, well, who is this person, Jesus? And we're singing about it, and the songs that were sung and picked this morning were very appropriate. Jesus is God. And he comes down and becomes a human. It's, you know, and I was, of course, you know, with my, I like to goof around a little bit, and so the professor, he's going, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. And he over and over, and I said, so let me be clear, professor, 50% God, 50% man? No, 100%. But the thing that makes this story so incredible, and even as I've been studying it, I've had to edit uh, my notes here because I'd be going on all day, and I realize I'm not in Africa where I could preach for three hours or preach till tomorrow when we actually get there. But we understand that Jesus is the one that is holding things together. The author of Hebrews says, the Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's our God. That's the one that we serve, Jesus, giving us this amazing example of what it is to follow after him. I don't even use the term evangelical anymore too much. Um, because it just, you know, brings up, you know, it's a Republican from, you know, Kentucky. Um, you know, even a Christian, what does Christian mean? Now, for me, it's follower of Jesus. I want to be like him, and I, as a community of people, we want to be a people that loves and serve Jesus. Many things have been done in the name of Christianity for the last 2,000 years. And we say, okay, that's happened. That's not who we want to be. We want to be loving people that are serving our community, that care about the poor, the widow, the broken, and bringing people into his kingdom. That's why Jesus came. And as you can tell, I have a little bit of passion on that. But it's this, this God coming to earth. Now, I don't know if you think about things, you know, about some of the things in the Bible. And why was it Jesus was born 
2,000 years ago in the little town of Bethlehem. Well, Galatians 4.4 4 says, he came at the right time in the right place. And then it and then it's also says here, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So why did Jesus come 2,000 years ago? And we're going to look at five things here, and then we're going to launch in even further. The first thing, you can go to the next one, is that the world was at peace. And if you look into history, 100 years, even 50 years before Jesus came, the known world was in chaos. There were wars, there was all sorts of difficulty things going on, and God would know, because he's God and he knows everything, that that wouldn't be the appropriate time. Because think, well, why didn't he come 3,000 years ago? Why didn't he come 500 years ago? He came 2,000 years ago because the world was at peace. Now, I've been in many hostile nations where it is very difficult in places like Pakistan, uh, you know, to go in Iraq and all these, some of these places because there's so much war. And it is difficult for missionaries and through Africa and some of the Muslim countries and some of these places. But at that time, the message had to spread quickly. And that's how God was, you know, viewing things. The next thing is Roman roads. You ever heard the term all roads lead to? Boy, smart crowd. Well, at that time, under the Roman Empire, they built roads all over the, all over the you know, the known world. You know, went through the Middle East, you know, uh, you know, through Turkey, over to Spain, North Africa. All these roads, they literally led to Rome. So when Jesus came, everything was being set up for that time. The next thing that we look at is the common language. And if you realize at that time, but the second language for people was Greek. Now, they spoke Aramaic from the Promised Land. There was Latin and other languages. But the educated people all could speak Greek. And so that made the, you know, and at that time, the Bible, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant as we'd know it at that time, was translated into Greek. So again, the timing was set. There would be people that would know about the Hebrew Bible, and then when the missionaries came along, they could then add to that. It was also a moment of great spiritual hunger. And I, you know, as I look at some of the statistics, and I'm kind of into that thing and reading a lot of things and trying to figure out, you know, Christianity and the growth, and I travel to many nations where we see the, you know, the gospel is exploding. I have met and interviewed many people, Muslims, that have dreams and visions of Jesus. God is doing amazing things. I believe that's the hostility against our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world because people are coming to know the Messiah, Jesus. And there is a hunger. Even in, they can say, well, only 6% are Again, the term evangelicals in Canada. The church is looks like it's shrinking. And it's the only way it's being sort of propped up is that Christians coming from other nations. But then I look around and I start to, you know, see people like Harrison and the, and the group here, meeting many young pastors across Canada and even in this city. And I see this passion, even what you guys are doing. There's something happening that is amazing. And there is a spiritual hunger. At that time, 2,000 years ago, there were the, you know, the Greek gods, the Roman gods. There was, you know, people were looking for these philosophies and all these things, and it was not meeting the need. You know who meets the need? Is Jesus. And somehow, some way, we continue to advance his kingdom because people need to know him so they can spend eternity with him. It's all based on the need that people have. Sometimes they don't even see it. 
I think people are sick of materialism in our culture. More, more, more. We're one of the highest anxiety countries in the world. And I mean, I've been in, again, places where people have nothing, dirt floors, but they don't have the anxiety levels, the pressure that sometimes we've, their pressure, and I, again, it's, it's major. If I was in their spot, they don't even know if they're going to have a meal tomorrow, and yet we're stressed, and we're so bombarded and so pressured. This is a great time to be alive. I've heard it said, and I believe it, this is the most exciting time and the most dangerous time to follow Jesus. Our culture, Canada, has flipped this way. The things that we believe and hold true to, the culture is saying that is irrelevant. You're judgmental. And if we've been judgmental, we repent of that. We want to show you the Jesus of the Bible. I feel like a Pentecostal preacher this morning. I was actually going to come up here and just be like, laid back, man, like Jesus is cool, you know. And he is cool, but he's saving people. That's exciting. And then the Jews, they were scattered all around the known uh, world at that time. You know what that meant? There were synagogues everywhere. And guess who knew about the God of the Bible? The people of Israel, the Jewish people. So when these Christian missionaries, they went out and they brought the message of Jesus into the synagogues, and they would say to these Jewish people, because there had been a about a 400-year silence between what we call the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Testament, the New Covenant, and they were waiting. And so these missionaries would go, and like people like Paul, who was also Jewish, they'd go into these synagogues, and they would start to tell the people, you know what? The Messiah, the one you're looking for, he has come, and his name is Jesus. And so they would like, okay, and, and, and we know the early church were Jewish people. And then it went to us, the rest of everybody else, which is the Gentiles. So the perfect time had come. God, the God of order, the God of the universe, set it all up. And then 2,000 years ago, you know, this is my imagination. I'm wondering what's going on. Like, okay, Father says to the Son, now is the time. The perfect time has come. You're going to step in there, and you are going to become like a little baby. I can't, you know, again, theologians and, and others have been trying to figure out this thing for like these, for these 2,000 years of what it was that Jesus did. Now, the place where it all happened was this little town called Bethlehem. And uh, it was actually thinking six years ago, uh, Arlene and I were in the little town of Bethlehem, and I was preaching at a church called Emmanuel, Emmanuel God with us in Bethlehem. And it was in December, it was close to Christmas, and it was a freak snowstorm. I'm thinking, I cannot get away from this white stuff for Christmas. I mean, I want to go to Hawaii and sing, Malikaliki Maka is the thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. I couldn't even go to Bethlehem and get away from a white, you know, I had to have a white Christmas. I think they actually blame me for that. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm pretty special then. If I can come from Canada and bring snow to Bethlehem, I must be anointed of God. Of course, that's not true. So little town of Bethlehem, kind of a nondescript place, about nine kilometers from Jerusalem. Um, the fact that we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, most people say Jesus was not born on that day. doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, I was researching this, and there's, I could spend all day just trying, you know, all the different reasons why. But it was in 336 A.D. Uh, was the first time that Christmas was actually celebrated on December 25th uh, in the Roman Empire under a guy by the name of Constantine. Now, you know the story, and um, this is Bethlehem, and um, again, this is probably what it looked like back then. Go to the next one. That's the 
you know, kind of sanitized version of it. Oh, little baby Jesus and in the manger, and it's all pretty cool. Go to the next one. This is more what it would have been like. So Sarah and Ryan, Harris and Christy, aren't you glad you're in a nice hospital? Gray nuns, right? Sturgeon, nice hospital, nice room. Can you imagine having little Hannah in a barn, in a stable, smelling of animals? But again, this is the, and none of these things are just an accident. You know, Jesus comes down, and, you know, Mary and Joseph, and they can't find a place to stay. Oh, man, you know, like, there should be a better place that we can have the Son of God. And yet, it's the story, it's the humility of Jesus. His earthly arrival was the ultimate act of humility. Now, I want to go to Philippians chapter 2. And let's just stand for a moment just as I read this and help us just again as, as we want to honor the Word. Father, thank you again for the Word. The Word, the Logos, Jesus, came and lived with us. And I pray, Lord, as your children or some of those that are just investigating what this is all about to follow you, that you would open our hearts and minds and, and burn this into our, just into our minds, into our hearts, into our spirits as we see this amazing thing that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. One of the challenges we have, Lord, if we've been following you for many years, is that we can, it kind of can become routine. But I pray, Lord, you would just blow the doors off some of it, our misconceptions of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. It didn't just start in that little town of Bethlehem, in that stable, but it began when you decided that you would leave heaven to bring redemption to all mankind, including us. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this passage, theologians call it. You can have a seat unless you want to stand up the rest of the time. It's fine. You can just be there with me. Um, there is a word. It's called kenosis. It's a Greek word. It means emptying. So this passage that we're going to look at, and again, theologians and others have for 2,000 years, well, what did God empty himself of, Jesus, when he came here? Again, 100% God, 100% man. So, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used, or some translations say grasped, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. We're talking God here. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. So, he humbled himself by leaving heaven, coming to earth, and then 30-some years later, it humbled himself again as he'd be obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, again, that in itself, you know, in Bible college, and if you want to study these things, that is absolutely amazing. We could spend a lifetime. But you know what? Paul didn't write that to the Philippian believers, those in Philippi, Greece. Uh, it is about 60 years after Jesus was born, about 30 years after he was crucified, because he was sending a message to the Philippians. He's sending a message to us about what it what true humility looks like. And so let's go to verse 3 because this is the part that comes just before that. That great theological truth. Do nothing. He's speaking to us. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. There is no room for arrogance and pride and self-serving in God's kingdom. It grieves my heart 
when I see things happening in the name of Jesus all over the media, and I'm thinking, God, how is anybody going to come to know you when there's so many roadblocks of the way your people are acting and treating others? It's horrible. Countries where Christians have even killed Christians because of a tribal thing. That is not the way of the kingdom. I tell you, this has been something as I've been preparing for this message that has really gone deep into my heart. Because I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to follow him in humility. I don't want to be an obstacle for anybody coming to know the Savior. And I'm saying even as a church community, you say, well, all these things have happened and Christianity this and that. Well, we're going to live as people that are humble. We're going to be full of his grace and mercy. We're going to serve our community, and we're going to follow Jesus, regardless what might happen in other parts of the body of Christ. And Paul goes on to say, rather, in humility, and again, humility, being humble, humble is actually a verb, it's an action. Um, it means made low. Value others above yourselves. Do I do that? I try. You know, I spend a lot of time in a hotel out in Ontario, and I talk to people all the time. People blow by the cleaning staff like they're not there. They blow by the lady at Tim Hortons who has trouble speaking English. Can we put our cell phones down and show respect for people? It's a part of what we're called to do. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others in your relationship with one another. So Paul uses this example of humility of this amazing event when Jesus came to the world, not to prove a theological point, and, you know, in seminaries and whatever, they can debate, okay, what did Jesus actually empty himself of? But one thing that we do know is that he uses that as an example to follow after him. I mean, humility is to have that mindset of Christ. The first thing, and I'm going to go quick here, is being humble, being made low, opens the door to God's grace. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I need God's grace. And the other thing, I don't want to have God opposing me. Like, he's pretty big. But I want Jesus as my best friend. I want to walk with him. But grace opens up the door. And as that's the mark of what we should be as followers of Jesus. You know, I've had to humble myself many times. And I get emotional here, probably. But when things were not going good in my marriage or with my kids, I could stay proud and say, you know what, I'm just serving God and, and I've done the best that I could. But I had to recognize that the time away and putting ministry sometimes first, you know, I, I always tell young pastors, family first, family first, family first, then the ministry. So it's God, family, ministry. If we can learn that, we can stay away from a lot of problems. And so I just had to go, and I said, okay. Um, I remember actually hearing my daughter, Sarah. I'm getting kind of personal here, but just saying, talking to a friend, and said, I don't know if my mom and dad are going to make it. Outwardly, doing these things for God, but my family was not, it was not being good at that point. So I sought out counseling. I received healing. I went to each of my kids, asked them to forgive me. For, ask my wife to forgive me. I needed God's grace. I needed to be brought low so he could lift me up. And he's done amazing things on our family. I mean, we're not the perfect family, right, Sarah? 
Like we say, we put fun in dysfunctional. <laughs> but being humble doesn't mean that you're some weakling to people walk all over you. Yeah, I mean, there's that extreme. You know, we have to be careful. We have to be aware we're in a spiritual battle. But we walk in humility. And when people see that in us, it starts to help them to go, well, maybe there's something real about this Jesus. I mean, there's, again, in our culture where people are, you know, they, some are so far away from God, yet we know that others are seeking. So to humble ourselves in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I can tell you, when you start letting go, you get low, all of a sudden the stress level goes down. It's not totally gone, but there's, there's that, that element of, of that grace and that peace. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I would encourage you to say, Jesus, whatever you need to do in my life, and he always answers that prayer. He didn't answer the prayer about Hawaii or some of the places or the things, you know. Send me, you know, as a missionary to Australia, although the place is burning, unfortunately. Uh, we need to be praying for our friends down there. I shouldn't have said mom and dad are here, sorry. No, but she's safe, right? Yeah, yeah. But we need, to, we need to be praying that. But when we humble ourselves and we allow God to use us in the way that he wants us to use us, it is amazing. And over time, I have met hundreds of people that have lost everything. It's one thing losing your possessions. It's one thing losing your family. When your family is killed because of their relationship with Jesus. And please even be praying over these next few days because the, the attacks against believers is Easter and Christmas. Pray that they would be safe. Go to the next one. This is uh, Nigeria. I was there last year. And there's a group called the Boko Haram and the Fulani Herdsmen. They are doing all sorts of damage. They, there are thousands of widows, Christians in Nigeria, especially up in the north, which is mostly Muslim area. And they have lost so much. And I have heard story after story in interviews, and often I'm, you know, I'm weeping with them. But it's only God's grace. When they have humbled themselves, they have opened the door to God's grace, and it allows them to forgive. I met uh, two ladies last year, uh, Victoria and Janet, 2016-2017. Uh, Both of them lost their husbands. One lady lost her two sons. Another lady lost her husband and her two nephews. And I was going to play a short clip here, but this will show that when we humble ourselves and God's grace fills us, we're able to actually love our enemies. I mean, I think, Jesus, you've got to be kidding me. That's not possible. You don't know what these people have done to me. And yet, with God's grace and help, we can do amazing things. So let's run that clip. How do I know that? I mean, after these horrible things happen to your families, how have you been able to forgive those that did these terrible things to, to you, to your family, and your community? It's amazing that I have forgiven. How do I know that? One day there was a heavy downpour of rain that drove some of the Fulanis from their settlement. They came to my house looking for shelter for the night. I opened my house to them and gave them shelter. I also gave them food when they passed through our farmland. I have forgiven them. 
To lose my sons, who are 20 and 17, and losing my husband, it was not easy for me to forgive. But because I prayed, and with God helping me, and the Christians in the church, and getting comfort from His Word, that really helped. That's not humanly possible, I don't think, at least for me. But God is at work, and when we open up that door, He can do amazing things. Humility also leads to respecting others when they don't respect us. 1 Peter 2, 12 says, Live such good lives among the Gentiles, that's anybody that's not Jewish, and outside a relationship with Jesus, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Then even if they accuse us of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give glory to God when he judges the world. Yesterday, Harrison put out a thing on uh, Facebook asking what our favorite Christmas song is. And for me, it's Oh Holy Night. That and, and we just sang it a, the other day when I was out in Ontario. And that as soon as it gets to that verse, it's fall on your knees and hear the angels' voices. It's an act of humility. And as we go through this Christmas season, let's remember what God did when he sent Jesus to come down here, humbled himself, became a servant, and then some 30 years later, he hung on a cross, died for our sins, so we could spend eternity with him. And so until our Lord Jesus returns, Let's follow him in humility. Let's have his grace. Let's respect people. Because when he returns, again, it was so cool. Uh, earlier this year when we were in Jerusalem, you know, on the Mount of Olives, and I was privileged enough to be able to bring the word that day to the people who gone on this tour. And I thought, here's where Jesus left. He went up. And the Bible says he is coming back. And he's coming back there. And when he comes the next time, you know, I, I wish I was a black preacher. When he comes back next time, he's not coming as a baby. He is coming as the resurrected King of Kings. He's going to ride on a white horse, and he will be high and lifted up. And then he's going to take us with him, and we will spend eternity with him. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can serve a God that's not saying, be humble. But you showed us what humility looks like. And Father, I pray even as this weekend continues, we are here to serve this community because we serve the God of heaven. You have called us to reach to the broken, to the lost, those that don't know you. And we would display that, that humility, that getting low and saying every person around us, even if our neighbor is an atheist and hates Christianity and the Bible, we still will serve these people. We will show them the love of the God of heaven who showed us the way. And I would just encourage, if there's somebody in this room, let's just stand. We're going to close with one song here. If you've never made a decision to follow this one called Jesus, if Christianity and true relationship with Jesus is not about a religion, what I just shared, that's the Jesus of the Bible. We all have missed. I mean, I wouldn't go to church because they're all well, they're a bunch of hypocrites and this and this. And 
I learned that when I got in the church, I was one of those hypocrites because we're all human. But if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, what an amazing day this would be to say, I want to follow you because I want to spend eternity with a God that is a God of love and a God that loves me and wants me in his presence forever. Not just for a little while, but forever. And if you want to do that, just put up your hand and uh, we'll, certainly we'll, we'll lead you along in prayer. prayer would be that if you want to just take that relationship with Jesus to another level that level of just following him with, with total abandonment just letting go of the things of this earth so that we can be free to serve Jesus just put up your hand I think that's probably all of us and I just want to pray that first Lord I just want to thank you for your incredible love pray for anybody in this room that has not made that decision or they're seeking and that's cool glad they're here that you continue to draw by your Holy Spirit as we're reminded Lord even if we mess things up you are still drawing by the Spirit of the living God to bring people into your kingdom it's not incumbent upon us and our clever ways of speaking things that we do we want to do well but it's about your Spirit and so I just pray Lord that you will continue to do that Lord, I also pray that we would just, again, humble ourselves before the throne of God. For the Bible says that when we do humble ourselves, we will lift us up. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Father, I just pray, again, for what's going to happen tomorrow. We know that there's a spiritual warfare going on, and there are people that at the last minute are not going to want to go, or something's going to happen. Father, we just pray right now that everybody that's supposed to be gathered tomorrow in the art and theater will be there that lives will be changed for eternity because as a church we've said hey, we, we just want to serve this community we want to let people know that there's this thing called good news and that they can come into relationship with Jesus so we thank you Lord for what you're doing today what you're doing tomorrow and you'll continue to do through Kingdom Church and all others that love Jesus in our community let your will be done. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to that message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you want more information, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to hear from you. If you want to join us in person, plan your visit today. We look forward to meeting you. Until next time, take care.